to Beyond the Ring, a podcast that covers all things in the stock show industry from the informative to the insane, starring Ryan Rash. I am certain my guardian angel has enrolled in the witness protection program. And Dale Hummel. The truth will set you free. Now on with the show. Welcome to Beyond the Ring. This is Dale Hummel alongside co-star Ryan Rash. Hello, hello, hello. Ryan, it has been an interesting week. I'm excited to talk about the RNC. And as we move into that topic, we need to be a little cautious. We are are doing a bonus episode over both the DNC and RNC at the conclusion of the RNC. And, and we have to be careful not to talk too much about that. But I am the most excited about my show Beyond the Circus. It's going to be good, isn't it? Oh, Beyond the and circus. you don't get to censor me, so I am so excited. <laughs> I am excited as well. It will be politically world event, current event geared, not targeting necessarily the junior livestock exhibitor, obviously. But today I want to bring up some good news, and, and we'll, we'll go through several current events, and hopefully it doesn't get too long. Uh, excited about COVID numbers going down across the country. Five weeks in a row. Yeah, Decreased numbers, decreased deaths, decreased hospitalizations. Yeah, but guess across what? The board. CNN don't want to talk about that shit. They're not not only talking about you're hearing nothing because it's going down, so we hear nothing about it. The CDC comes out now in contrast to a month or so ago. Do not get tested unless you have symptoms. And that that seems very logical, and, and I, I'm completely on board with that. Why was that not logical from the beginning? I don't know. I, I understand they, they talked about contact tracing and, and things that I just don't think are realistic. And, and while we're on that realistic topic, and we talked about this just briefly in the last episode, when we have, and, and I've been talk, speaking with some of the college professors across the country, just asking about how, how our class is going, what, what are they doing? There, there's a lot of social distancing a lot of masks, a lot of shields between the teachers or the professors and the students. And at the same time, we're doing all of this while they're at college or in the classroom. Ryan, what do you think is happening when they walk out of there? Uh, what every person does in college, they go and party their ass off. Duh. Dale, if you're going to sit here and tell me that these kids should not go party and have a good time in college because of a pandemic, I swear to God, I'm going to come through my computer and hurt you. <laughs> no, I agree with you. And I, I'm just stating the fact that there is no way to stop that. It's not going to. Zero. So we're making all of these adjustments in the classroom that it's irrelevant. Uh, again, maybe it's a liability issue. I don't know. But we need to be realistic about it that it's just it's just not going to work in any manner. The concern I have, like my oldest son, has to get tested to go to in-person class in college. And I think they're encouraging these students to get tested frequently. They try to keep them out of the classroom if they have an issue, and then they're going to be back at their apartment. And again, we're back in the same position. But I'm worried that the COVID number is going to go up because we're testing so many of these college students right now. So far, I, I don't see it in the numbers, but maybe we're, we're too early into it. I'm just going to be real honest with you. And all these other issues and pandemics and all this stuff, nobody cared about numbers. They cared about who died and who was sick. That is all that we need to worry about. And that should have been from the very beginning, but that does not fit the Demon Rats platform. So therefore, we have to get everybody in America tested so they can show that Trump is evidently the worst person in the world and gave all these people the Rona. 
I, I think that's exactly the 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 narrative that's that's being pushed, and and the only thing they're going to, in my opinion, I, I I hope I'm correct that we aren't going to see that increased hospitalization. We're not going to see an increase in deaths. We know there's going to be more deaths, and that's that's a terrible thing. And I don't want to take away from that by any means. But the only thing, in in my opinion, that that's going to rise significantly because of schools starting back up and colleges is maybe the actual testing numbers. But now the CDC comes out. And guess what? I had to dig a little bit for that information. Maybe it was on Fox a little bit. I'm going to venture to guess that CNN and, and some of the other mainstream media is not coming out and saying, hey, CDC doesn't even want you to test unless you have a symptom or have been exposed to someone. I'm going to put this out there. The college kids probably need to worry about a lot of other diseases before they worry about Rona. <laughs> Thank you for bringing that to everyone's attention. Thank you, Ryan. You're welcome. Doing what I can here. I appreciate it. Mayor de Blasio, New York City, there's a pushback from the teachers union. He's actually trying to start schools up here uh, next month. The teachers union is saying, no, we're we're not going. He's fire them and get somebody that wants a job. <laughs> he's saying he's going to put together what he calls a ventilation police or something like that, that will go to each school. Ventilation teams is how he words it. That will go to each school and check on their ventilation. There's one practical issue with that. Ventilation requires air movement, and these viruses attach themselves to moisture particles. And as the air moves, we're taking it from one person to another. Again, like the college situation, it is not practical. I'm not saying we don't need ventilation, but any form of ventilation, it's going to move that virus from point A to B, and we're not solving the problem. Okay, let me sum up New York for you. De Blasio and Como literally have made fools of themselves. And do you realize that there have been more deaths in New York than California, Texas, and Florida combined? And I, I attribute it to a couple things. No question it was obviously one of the early hotspots. Just let that sink in there for a second, homeboy. Oh, I get it. New York is the fourth most populous state. The top three, you add all their deaths together, New York surpasses them. It's amazing. And I, again, attribute a lot of that when he encouraged, allowed, I don't know what he called Sent the COVID patients back to the nursing home? Yeah. Great idea. Where, where in the world does that come from? And you know, he still will not release the numbers of the people that passed in those situations. Will not release them. That is really a, a truly sad situation. That's terrible. Not, not trying to politicize it or anything, just horrifically sad. So can we talk a little bit about the, the RNC? Just a uh, bit. I've, I've, I mean, the DNC was laughable at best. I think the one, and again, I know we're going to go into detail on this. I think the one thing that needs to be brought out the most is the DNC used all these celebrities and all this other stuff. They had terrible mishaps in terms of their production, and nobody got it. And they were truly dark and divisive in terms of their rhetoric. So... This week, the RNC starts up, and that's that's their talking point, is that it's all dark and divisive. I have seen more normal American success stories at the RNC convention than I have seen in, any, in all of the other conventions probably combined that I've watched. I'm not going to tell you that I've paid a great deal of attention to all of them over the years, but I have watched a lot. And so how that is dark and divisive, I don't know. The one thing that I am going to bring up 
in detail about is I thought Melania Trump was absolutely exquisite. I think they should have her on the front lines every day between now and the election. If he gets elected again, I think she should be out there all the time. That is their secret weapon. They never use it. I don't understand it. And I do think a lot of it is she probably just doesn't want to do it because she is criticized so unjustly. But Bette Midler has been a big, big role model for me throughout my entire life. The things she said about Melania Trump last night, I will never listen to her music again. She tweeted, oh God, she still can't speak English, which, yes, she has an accent. Yes, she is an immigrant who spent 10 years to become a full-fledged American citizen. And then she wrote, that she mocked her Be Best platform, said it was a bore, and that she can speak several words in a few languages but can't speak any language totally, and that they needed to get that illegal alien off the stage. Unbelievable. Literally. And I, I cannot tell you how much I've respected Bette Midler, watched everything she's ever done. In 1999, when the millennium was coming, we spent God knows how much money to be at her live concert on New Year's Eve. I I am just completely and totally never been more disappointed with celebrity in my life. You you seem devastated on this one. Highly disappointed. Really disappointing and disheartening. I think night one of the RNC, I cannot tell you the excitement level while I was watching that. And And it goes right back to what you're talking about. Real people stories versus celebrities. And it was amazing. I had, and, and this honest-to-God truth, tears in my eyes when Maximo Averez spoke and told his story. It was so genuine, his love for being an appreciation for being a U.S. citizen, talking about Cuban-born, 100% American. It was incredible, absolutely incredible. Tim Scott from Cotton to Congress in a Lifetime, we all bleed red. So many amazing stories there that that just resonated with me, and and I'm I'm biased. I'm on that side of the fence, so they're preaching to the choir. But some of that has to resonate. Uh, I can show you one simple fact that it at least more people are watching. C-SPAN's live stream of the first night of both conventions, the Democrats got seventy six thousand views on C-SPAN's live stream. The Republican National Convention on the first night got 440,000. That, that is a significant difference. Almost five times the amount. I, I hope so. What about Kim Klasick, Baltimore native, running for Congress? I think she is a bright, spunky individual that I, I think she can go far and do a lot of things. I think she's fighting a losing battle, and so I have, I have issues being as excited about her as you do. Oh, just the fact that she got up there and she told the story that in her community for the past 53 years has been under Democratic control and literally no change has gotten worse. That, that story needed to be told. And she is correct, but she also should be bright enough to realize she is never going to win there. So why not go put yourself in a race where you can win and you can do good for the whole state of Baltimore, including those people. I agree, but I think just telling her story helped the national picture. 
that's the appreciation that I, and you're right. She, I mean, I hope she wins it. I don't, it doesn't look very realistic, but the fact that she got up and, and put that story out there and was so transparent and honest. And these are the things that, that we need to hear. And I'm not saying the Republicans can go in and fix all those things, but we have a proven track record. The Democrat mayors are not going to, it just hasn't worked period. I mean, if you'll notice where all the carnage is, it's Democrat run cities. It like, I'm assuming Kenosha, Wisconsin. And I'm going to assume again that those are the spots that they're more difficult. You have more issues. So I'm not saying it's all because of Democratic control, but the fact is no question they have not found a solution. I don't have an absolute solution. I don't even want to pretend to. But man, if, if something doesn't work, we need to try something else. Kenosha, Wisconsin, it's erupting. I first heard Kenosha on the news and I'm thinking... We're having problems in some small town in the middle of Wisconsin. And then I researched a little bit, and Ryan, do you know where Kenosha sits? I have no idea, but I'm sure since you are literally a compass, you can tell me. I am. I have, I have Google at my fingertips. It is literally setting exactly between Chicago and Milwaukee. So with that knowledge, it, it, I guess it doesn't shock me quite as much about what's going on, and I am very disappointed that any of this is going on anywhere, but that makes a little more sense to me. The south side of Kenosha is basically heading towards Chicago and the north side's heading towards Milwaukee and they're in a mess, an absolute mess. Literally think the level of violence and destruction is probably worse there than any of the other cities for a short period of time. Two people were got killed last night, one's in critical condition. They have literally set that place on fire. And the death of the 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 individual that was shot in the back and, and all we're seeing are some short video clips and I don't know if it was just in jest. It seems like it shouldn't have happened, but you really unless you're in that position with the the as the police officer and he's going into his car, you don't know what he's trying to grab. There's until all the the evidence comes out Man, we've got to we've got to be careful making these rash judgments. I appreciated the young man's family and mother coming out and say calling for peace and and just calm and and all of that. That's I, I I give a lot of respect to that, and it is it is greatly appreciated. And let's hope that everything just settles down there um, sooner than later. But I'm I'm fearful it might might be going the other direction. I just want to know why they will not release if he had a gun in his car. That's been asked by. Every media outlet there is, and they will not answer that question. And I'm, I'm assuming he did not. I mean, I don't know. I know there were kids in the car, so I'm going to just assume there was not a gun in the car. But as a police officer, you don't know that. If there wasn't a gun in the car, why won't they just say that? Because then that only goes to show that his shooting was probably pretty unjust. So just answer it. Just say it. But how does that police officer know there's not one there? Doesn't matter. They got to answer the question. There's something fishy there. It's a bad situation, period. I don't know who's... There's no question the gentleman that was shot wasn't listening. He already had a knife. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't listening. He wasn't stopped. There's just a lot of problems there, and maybe the problem's on both sides. I I don't know. Don't even want to place any judgment until we we get more of that evidence. Give the people the facts so they can make their own judgment. They won't do that. Good point. No, you're right. What do you hear out of North Korea, Ryan? Oh, Kim is in a coma, and his sister is waiting 
impatiently, I think, for him to croak and take over. And some people on the surface would say, well, this is great. We don't want to wish. Terrible, 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 terrible. She is smarter. She is more ruthless. And she actually believes that they are the superior nation race. She is the one that is in charge of all of the propaganda that North Korea puts out right now. And she believes it. And they say she is way more intelligent way more ruthless, and that she will be a way more violent and deadly leader than Kim ever b- thought about being. And I, everything that I've heard as well, and, and it, it, it appears to be that way, and I don't know if he's in a coma or not. We don't know for sure, but just the silence that's been there for so long, something's going on. That's right. what that tells me. I mean, so they, I don't know. Yeah. Has, have, you, have you heard anything out of your friend Hillary lately? Oh, my friend Hillary, yes. Well, <laughs> I love the fact that Hillary got on her high horse and went crazy when they asked Trump when they were running against each other if he lost, would he accept the results of the election? And Trump said that he wanted to wait and see what the results were. Not that he would not accept them. He wanted to wait and see what the results were. She, yesterday, had an interview and said, under no circumstances... Should Joe Biden accept defeat? Even if Trump wins the Electoral College, the popular vote, whatever, he should not concede the election under any circumstances whatsoever. And what is amazing about this to me is the bedrock principle of a democracy is a peaceful transfer of power. So what she has done in that interview has literally threatened our democracy more than any world war or dictator ever could with that right there. I agree. I, I think it's a crazy statement to make. Unbelievable. And, I, you know, I forgot to talk about this, and I'll, I'll maybe wait until the, the bonus episode, but the McCluskey Second Amendment issue. Oh, God. <laughs> they, the people that defended their home just outside of St. Louis. Mm-hmm. You're fans of them, aren't you, Ryan? I do not think you can go out on your lawn and wave guns at people that walk down the middle of the street. Now, that's just my own personal opinion. You have a mob breaking down a security gate, coming towards your property, shouting No, they obscenities. actually were not going to their property. They were, they right were in, going to the mayor's house, which that was, was two blocks down. But That was not even in the, in the same complex, from what I can tell. No, I don't. I think they didn't know where they were wrong, sir. You are wrong. If you have, just like the muscle discussion, you were wrong. No, the mayor's house was two blocks from theirs in the same community, and they decided to get out on their lawn and wave guns at people. I, I think you should have a gun. The key is their lawn. Everybody has the right to protect themselves. If they would have come on their lawn, tried to come in their house, get with it. I Did they shoot think, anybody? Did they do fire not the gun? Think you can go out there and wave a gun at somebody just because you want to, Del Hummel? No, because you're going to protect your house from being destroyed <laughs> and yourself. Did they shoot anybody? Oh, okay. Did next, they? next. They did not shoot. I've got an idea. I'm going to start a GoFundMe page, Guns for the Gay. GoFundMe page, Guns for the Gay. The worst idea in the world is to give me a gun because I will shoot somebody and I will not be the one defending my home. I will shoot somebody <laughs> because I want to. Oh, I think we just better agree to disagree on that one. Wildfires in California. I don't have as much information on that other than some families living out there 
that I've I've discussed it with, and it appears there the fires are as bad as they've ever been because of all the issues going on. There's probably less national coverage. It also appears as though because of COVID, because of lack of funding, that maybe there's not as big of firefighter response. And again, I don't have firsthand knowledge of this, just piecing together what I'm what I'm hearing from from the families there in California. And it's a very, very serious, sad situation that that's going on out there. And we're not even to, to the peak of fire. We haven't even started what they consider fire season. Again, uh, the mainstream media is not covering it hardly at all. And I don't understand that because normally they love, you know, pillage, carnage, destruction. So I don't understand why they're not covering it. I don't, I don't think it helps the, the political environment at the moment. But I, too, I've heard from several people out there that this will probably be the worst, if not one of the worst ones that they've yeah. ever suffered. It looks, it looks really bad. I have one. We, we've got to get through these current events, and I have another one. I have a great idea. Great idea. I think we should send the gay tonight, tomorrow morning, Port Arthur, tie yourself to a pole on the beach, and do a Facebook Live as, as the hurricane approaches. Sounds like a great idea, Dale. Since I think you think be, it's such oh. a good idea, why don't you just fly your happy ass down here and do it yourself? Oh, I think it'd get great coverage. I, I am concerned about this more than Ryan is. I know he's not on the coast, but you are close to the path of that hurricane that, that looks like it's going to be fairly serious and, and unfortunately going to do a lot of damage. We are fairly, I mean, a couple hundred miles inland. Yes, we are. You're going to get flooding and you're going to lose power. I Is the gay mansion, Barbie mansion on a we're hill? we're going to lose power. We will get a lot of rain, and we will get a lot of wind. We'll probably have some trees down, and we might lose power. But if we do, my mother's house has a generator, and I'm going to be out of here to judge a show on Friday, so I can just leave a day early. I mean, it'll <laughs> be fine. That works out great. The show is not along the coast, I'm hoping. Oh, no. Deep West Texas. Got it. Got it. Got it. Any any news the, the out of Nancy Pelosi? Oh, your favorite, your favorite. No, Nancy is your girl, even now more than ever, because she is raving about your state. She says, and I quote, let me make sure I get her quote right, because Illinois is a model of success that we must duplicate nationwide, Nancy Pelosi. Oh, my. Oh, my. People, I, I... I have to be honest. I, I obviously live in the state of Illinois and have the majority of my life. And I am, I'm not a fan of how hot and humid it gets. I'm not a fan of how extremely cold it gets. I'm not a fan of much of the scenery in this portion of Illinois. And I'm especially and not a fan of Chicago of how poorly run our state has been for so many years. I was in academia for 20 plus years. and I do have a state retirement fund pension that I haven't accessed yet, but I don't know that I'll even see it. It it is it is a sad situation and I have no idea how she could ever come up with a statement such as that. It it, it is the most corrupt system, particularly in Chicago, that I think maybe there is anywhere in the country. Beetlejuice is not corrupt. Maybe she's not. I don't know, but I promise you history has proven many that preceded her have been corrupt. Beetlejuice might just have different opinions than you and I. Maybe she's not corrupt. Maybe. Something. I have one more point to address before we jump into our main topic. Good. When Ryan and I entertained the idea of starting this Beyond the Ring podcast, 
The entire premise of the podcast was to bring light to issues, to try to better the youth livestock industry, be 100% transparent. Well, as I get back from camping, and Ryan's such a, a fan of camping, uh-huh. I uh, not only get the dog to relieve itself in my lap while we're camping, I managed to walk through some woodlands, some grass, something that uh, caused me to get some chiggers. And I don't know if you know what chiggers are, but bad, 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 bad. 107 chigger bites on my leg. The fact that you counted how many chigger bites you have is a little disturbing. (laughs) And I ordered as much chigger relief via Amazon as I could that's supposed to show up today. So I, I really hope that it does. But as I'm sitting here researching chigger bites, I get a call from a very respected person in in the livestock industry that brings to my attention that while I'm at the show in California on the Indian Reservation, the California Youth Livestock Expo, that there was a rumor going around that I attempted to cancel or get the show in Bloomington canceled the night before the show was to start. Now, just to be clear of this craziness, I am one of the persons that gathered, had a good friend of mine donate an obscene amount of money to this show. I initially sponsored the show, which at this point, I I have no reason to, to allow the sponsorship to go through. But there's the accusations he brought to my attention, accusations being made that I tried to use the health department, the COVID-19 pandemic, to cancel a show that I actually had my family participate in. So it seems it seems a little bit crazy that these things get started and I don't even I don't even know how to address it other than than just reckless behavior that if as a livestock industry we're going to continue to move forward this is something that just should not be happening. Personally, can I just state that I think that it is hysterical that you are <laughs> Thank the you, one Ryan. Thank you. getting things made up about them right now instead of me. I just have to put that out you, there. You find some you find a little bit of enjoyment or entertainment out of that. I don't find enjoyment out of it because I've been there before and it sucks. I do find it funny and entertaining. Yes. Not, not but enjoyment, but entertaining. Because you, Mr. Straight Lace, buttoned up all this <laughs> other stuff who has never literally, I mean, and you are the one that is making anonymous phone calls to shut down a show that you and your children went to. And you also went to Rona Central, a.k.a. California, to help other people at a show, and you didn't even wear a hazmat suit. So I, I blame this on you. The whole Tyvek thing at the beginning when I didn't know how bad or how serious COVID might be, maybe that's where this is stemming from. The, the, the now, fact that I we, think it's just a bunch of people that tried to stir some shit. I'm just going to be real, real honest with you. That's possible. I don't know, but but as an industry, these are the these are the unfounded, ridiculous, ignorant things that get started that do does absolutely no good. And just to no, be it clear, does no good. It does not no good for anyone. No kid. No family. No show. No exhibitor. No nobody. Does zero good. And yet this happens every single day on some level to someone. And the the one thing that I find the most appalling about this situation is whether who these people were, if they believed you might have done it or been involved, why did they just not pick up the phone? Because I know they all have your number. 
call you and ask you. It's it's very confusing to me, but before they decided to just tell the world that you were the guilty party, <laughs> pick up a phone and ask. And I'm out there judging shows, participating. I, I'm I'm doing everything I possibly can to keep this youth livestock industry going through the pandemic. But you're going to cancel this one show. Yep, yep. I'm going to just cancel that one. So to be crystal clear, I, I again, I have no problem with individuals opposing shows during COVID, even people that are, are stock show families, that's their right to do that. Every individual needs to make that their own decision. If they don't want a show to go on, my recommendation is just don't participate, don't go. I don't even have a problem with them bringing to light this is an issue, this is a problem, That that is their right to do that. But for crying out loud, don't just pull things out of midair and, and assume that, that's, that, that I did it or somebody else did it that has nothing to do with it. It's it's insane. I, I, I really don't, I don't get it. So on, on a more serious note, and I know we're making light of this, we, we as an industry right now have to do everything we possibly can to keep moving forward. We have enough obstacles out there that we don't need things like this that, that have no basis. Exactly. Do not create new shit for us to overcome. No. So let's hope that, that a lesson's learned and I'll, I'll take the heat on this to, to bring to light what's going on, the, to avoid this reckless ignorance that occasionally pops up. I, I don't know. I don't even know how, how to approach it any, any differently. Again, I do find it a little humorous that you have to deal with it. <laughs> Thank you. I've dealt Thank with you. it so much. But the fact that it, it happens not just to you, not just to me, but to people all over the nation on some type of level, it is just ridiculous to me. If people would just... Focus on their goals and mind their business and not worry so much about what everyone else was doing or said or supposedly did, especially with absolutely no evidence or proof whatsoever at all. We would be a lot better off because we would be more focused on succeeding at what we want to accomplish in life instead of trying to tear other people down. It it, it blows my mind, especially when I'm generating sponsorship dollars per all there every factor t- goes the other direction but we're going to we're going to we're just going to take the high road we're going to leave it alone at that on a more positive note we're going to address a topic today that many listeners have been bringing to our attention and want addressed i i'm excited about it i hope it's it works out well for us we need to address how we identify that perfect show prospect across species Ryan do you have the ability I don't know anybody that has that ability. I can give you tips and tricks and stuff like that. But again, my perfect show prospect compared to yours is obviously quite different. And that's going to be the same (laughs) on some level for everyone. I'm going to say we're relatively close on hogs, probably more so than any other two people out there in the hog area. And sheep and goats, probably pretty close. We might be a little bit different in cattle. I remember I still try to bring in the I throw out the circus Form and bring the in the practical. function. <laughs> yeah, I like them a little. I want all the bells and whistles, but I want some practicality there first. With this topic, obviously, and, and this we're going to have to narrow to a certain degree. Obviously, budget's going to come into play. If if you're on a budget, which 99% of the population is going to be on, that is going to make it more difficult. We can go out and find the ones we like, but then we have to be able to afford them. So we really, and Ryan and I talked about this in the last episode. You need to identify your goals, make sure they're clearly defined, and then go out and find that animal that you think best fits 
that goal you're you're pursuing? I think that one of the biggest misconceptions or one of the things that a lot of times we don't look at enough or not honest with ourselves enough is what can we realistically achieve? Because no matter what, there there are levels to success. And I would much rather see everyone in this industry set a goal that they can realistically achieve and see that success and get, you know, the positive out of it from accomplishing a goal and seeing what it took to happen and then seeing that come through than just setting an unrealistic goal that's never going to happen. And so depending on your budget, depending on several factors, always try. And I'm not saying don't aim high. I think you should always aim high. But also make sure that it is a realistic goal that you can set. And, and remember, we're, we're in the business of educating youth and preparing youth for the real world. And that's part of it. When I, when I talk to clients, a lot of times I'll say, I'll ask a question similar to that. And what are, what are your goals or what, what show are you targeting? And I have to get very specific to almost help define the goals. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. And a lot of the families, I think that we're bringing this to light. And if they sit back and think about it, that's exactly what Ryan stated needs to happen. And that's going to make for a much, much more successful project at every level. The purchasing process, the locating that animal, the budget that you have to work with, and then everything through the management and getting it through that show. It's just going to make a much more positive, realistic experience. And if your goal is to win Houston or Kansas City or Denver, that that's great. But just define what that is and make sure that that is, is something that's realistic. And it's not all about money. And we'll talk about that a little more than we did before. You can start out with the best one in the world. But if we don't manage those correctly, we're, we're going to have trouble. Ryan, what are your thoughts then if we're going out searching and we'll break it down into individual species here in a little bit, but if we can talk in a general sense to begin with, do you go to those proven programs? We have a lot of online sales and even live sales and private treaty. A lot of programs will make claims that this one's good enough to win a national level show and maybe they've never ever raised one that's won a national level show. I'm not saying that can't happen. There has to be a first time for everyone. But where are you? Do, you? do you look at the proven? Do you, do you go outside of that? Where, where do you start? I mean, I think it's always a wise choice to go to those programs, whether they're breeders or brokers, that have a proven track record for what you want to accomplish. There are some people out there that, you know, focus on elite high-end animals that are aimed at being that supreme champion, and some that are there for, you know, goals of making the sale or winning a county fair, you know. So depending on what your goal is and what you're trying to accomplish, yes, always look to those proven programs. Uh, At the same time, do not be afraid to, I can't tell you how many times someone reached out to me and said, hey, I know you don't know me, but I've got one I think can do something. Went there, saw that individual, and they were right. And so, you know, again, programs with proven track record and success are yes, but it also would not just completely shut out anyone or any animal that you saw, whether it's in person or online or in a video. 
that you might have an interest in because champions come in every sh- shape, form, size from all of them. And from, from different places, and I could not agree more. And I'm going to take it a step further. Let's think about those proven programs. Obviously, have some proven genetics that they're working with, and that's that's almost like an insurance policy or or just a, a lessening your or increasing your odds of that animal turning out, knowing it's coming from this genetic line that's performed before. But guess what? In most of our species, those same genetics are available to a lot of people through embryo transfer, uh, artificial insemination. So you may have a breeder out there you've never heard of before that has a very similar genetic package as maybe one of those proven breeders. And I'm going to tell you, it's probably going to be a little less expensive at that one. Nine times out of 10, you're right on that. So I, I, I like that. So proven programs, always a plus. You, you can feel a little more comfortable. But just as Ryan stated, brokers, breeders, each one of them fits a little bit different market. And maybe some of those elite brokers or even breeders that are targeting those national shows Maybe that's not the, the the exact person. There's maybe somebody out there that if your goal is to get through your county show, maybe someone more local that could be more hands-on and get you started is going to work just as well as as some of those elite breeders that that are maybe focusing on something else. So we, we have to bring it all into into play. So we're talking about the the proven genetics, Ryan, and it, whether it's the cattle industry, the swine industry, if you have a mating that's that's been successful for a couple of years. When you go in to look at those, can you go in with a little bit more confidence on, on how you think they're going to mature? I'm going to state something that you are not going to agree with, and a bunch of people are going to say I'm nuts, and that's fine. Every time that I was looking for projects for kids, the last thing I was concerned about is what they were out of. I looked at that animal and the physical characteristics and where I thought that one needed to go and who was possibly judging and those things. And yes, I did ask, but again, that was not high on my priority list. There are proven matings that do well. I was more concerned in terms of what that mating was in Solely on an aspect in terms of how they feed. Correct. That's just the honest truth. And to break it down a little further, you're more specifically when you talk about how they feed, do they have appetite or are their intakes? Right. Are they going to belly down? Are they going to mature? And you're, you're primarily. Yeah. And, and I think those are absolutely critical. And in different genetic lines and even within those genetic lines, there's different ones that feed differently. But I think in general, some of those genetic lines out of certain dam groups or certain sires, they're going to feed a little better. Maybe not as high management, high risk, whether they're going to feed or not. I like your concept, and I, I'm going to probably say that I'm going to go 50% genetic, 50% visual. But what I, I would recommend, and I try to do myself, and I'm not very good at it, I would like to evaluate that prospect without any genetic background, form an opinion my own opinion visually prior to hearing how that one's bred because inherently, if that's a popular pedigree that's done well in the past, it's almost like the power of suggestion. It may skew my ability to evaluate just where that one falls into the world. shouldn't, but I'm just being as realistic or honest as I can that that it might. I'm not saying you're not right, and I think that's probably correct for a lot of people. That's why I literally, until I was convinced that this is something that I was interested in, 
and thought that one needed to have a home for a kid. I never asked. I, I just didn't ask. Because if it wasn't one that I knew that I needed to gather up and I had a home for that one, it, it didn't matter to me. And, you know, you talk about how when you're selecting, it's 50% visual appraisal, 50% genetics. I don't think there's anything wrong with that either. But you can look. It doesn't matter if it is livestock or people. The same genetics do not ring true in every single situation. I'm 5'10". My brother was 5'10". Same exact parentage. You can go and look at flush mates standing in a pasture. Some may be great. Other ones average. They'd be different colors. I mean, I can go on and on and on. That's why visual appraisal and what I thought that animal could be geared for and those things was way more important to me than what they were out of or what damn they were by. And I and I can pr- appreciate that a great deal. And and you're right, flush mates. Even we've we've cloned quite a bit here, and even clones are are, are significantly different visually. So absolutely correct. And and I, I like the comment you made that you're asking just from a standpoint of of knowing how they're going to feed or maybe where their appetite or how it's going to be to manage that that particular animal so you can best suit that family that you're selecting it for. All of that makes perfect sense. I've probably evolved into leaning a little more towards the genetic side, and I'm going to attribute that to working with it in this goat world right now, that environment in terms of just feed intake and management, health management, these goats change so dramatically that sometimes it's hard to see them. And if I know they're out of a certain genetic base that it works. A lot of our does that we retain back into our program that will eventually be donors, once we get them through that first six months or so, we back down feed intake to where they get pretty thin. And we do that to keep fertility rates up and, and harvest as many embryos as we can. But when we pull that feed away and we we put them out there in that big group and truly limit feed probably to a maintenance level. And in some cases, if they were a little heavy going in to less than maintenance, it changes their entire look. And we feed them back. They look like great ones. You go to our donor pen, people would walk right past it because they're thin enough. You really can't tell what's there. You walk around the corner and see some naturals that for some reason were fed a little harder. You would mistake those for the donor. So I, I lean maybe a little bit that way be, because of such. But as we're talking about phenotype and the visual, I think there is a, a debate or something we need to discuss when we're looking for that prospect, a lot of times it's easy for us to envision an animal putting that ideal in our head at that American Royal or Houston or San Antonio or wherever you're at, that ideal market animal. We have to be careful. Do we want that prospect to look like that market animal at a young age or do we want them a bit more immature? I think that the biggest thing on this is there's an evolution process to everything. And so those ones that are so stout and so muscular and so much further advanced when they're young prospects, you know, some of those continue to stay that way and hold together. A lot of them don't. And so a lot of times the ones that are a little more youthful, I mean, because even in pigs, which is probably the shortest time span from the time you start one on feed till they're market ready. I think now more than ever, freshness and you know look and aesthetics are more important in all the species 
than ever before. And I I do think that they're because it is so competitive out there right now. You know, there were times in this industry years back where you know, being stale or being a little overcooked wasn't nearly as big of a disadvantage as it is now. And now it is because, again, you've got a lot more options and there's a lot more people that are a lot better at feeding and keeping them fresh and keeping them 12 o'clock than ever before. So I think that is something that everyone needs to, needs to be more conscious in their selection process. No, and I think it varies a little bit from species to species. and. The one thing that I feel the most comfortable on the ruminant side, cattle, goats, and, and sheep, that doesn't maybe change as much or, or stays consistent with acceptable management levels, and that's the skeletal build. Now, when I, I think about pigs, if we're pushing a higher percent protein or paline, we can really change things and they can crash. A relatively sound prospect can go completely the other direction if, if managed. I'm not saying we don't see that in cattle, goats, and sheep. But we have enough inherent structural issues in our show hogs right now that anything that's pushed a little too hard is is generally going to bring those issues out. In the skeletal build, would you say in cattle, goats, and sheep, in my mind, I guess I feel safer in those three species picking out a prospect and maybe just because I'm I'm more current with them than I do a prospect pig? Oh, no. I, I think pigs change the most in every single way than any other species. And I also think when you were talking about genetics and I think in pigs, it is more valuable to lean on what those matings are than any other species. Because a lot of those, you know how they feed, you know what you can do with them because you've done it before or you've talked to people that have done it before. So in pigs, I think the genetic makeup of that animal is far, far of greater significance than in the other species to me personally. And I think that comes right back into, it's just, we can go out and and find that visual prospect that looks perfect. It just, it seems like people will put far more pigs on feed because of this exact issue that a high percentage of them do not feed like what we would predict them to visually. And when Ryan talks about leaning on the genetics and how those pigs are going to feed, and especially if you fed those same genetics before, you understand how to manage them. You understand whether we can can use products such as paline and at what level, how hard can we push, how old do they need to be, all of those factors that come into play. It, I mean, it it takes a lot to be able to go out and find that prospect pig that suits you visually, hopefully fits a genetic package. If you go out and buy that one or two pigs and expect to go to your one targeted show for it, it's hard. I, I wish I could say that's realistic, but but those that are winning major shows and state fairs. I don't want to tell you how many pigs are probably on feed. Safety in numbers. Safety in numbers. Yeah, that, there's something to that. Let's let's focus just a little bit on the, on the cattle side and and going out into those pastures. And it seems like, and, and Ryan, you could address this much better than I have, that we've evolved where a lot of these these steer prospects, especially, they're selling out of the pasture younger and younger all the time. There's no doubt about that. And I think it's just because elite ones, even though there are... I don't know if there are more elite ones out there than ever before. I think it's probably the same number, but I think there is a bigger demand for those than ever before. So that increases their value and you got to get them gathered up as early as possible. And one of those may change hands four different times. 
before it ever gets to the exhibitor, and that's part of it. But, yeah, they're definitely getting purchased on the side of the cow, still nursing more than ever before. And it's a little bit different than maybe the other species to a certain degree, where I believe we have more brokers involved that are out there traveling the countryside, hitting those pastures, looking at those calves, and trying to find those elites and willing to take a little risk Oh yeah, to make sure they don't miss, miss one of those. And you're, they're, they're taking on some of the risk for you when they bring them back, put them on feed, get them clipped up, all of those factors that, that they have to do on their end. Some of those calves aren't going to turn out and they're going to, they're going to crash on them. And, and they're going to absorb that loss. But, yeah. And that's just part of the game. I can't tell you the number of times people will have come up to me because I, I primarily, and I only did Texas when I was brokering cattle because I didn't want that to, me selling cattle outside of the state of Texas to affect me being able to judge in those states. And so I only did Texas, and they were like, we want a Fort Worth steer, we want a San Antonio steer, we want a Houston steer. And so the Fort Worth ones, yeah, some of those got purchased. Uh, you know, some of them got purchased before the Fort Worth show ever happened. A lot of them got purchased right after. But if you wanted a slick shirt steer from me uh, for San Antonio, Houston, Austin, Angelo, whatever, I told everybody up front, you're not going to like this, but I promise you, I will not even go look for one probably until after we get through with Austin because I was at a show every day, whether it was steers or heifers, with those clients of mine, making sure they were you know, we could be as successful as we could. And so you can't, the Texas major show season, you leave one and go to another, or you leave that one with a heifer and you come back with the steer. So there was no time to run back and forth and here, wherever. And I would tell them, I said, if you will just wait, I promise you, I can get you what you need. And it's just like you said, the longer someone else puts that one on feed and absorbs the risk, the better off you're going to be because there is a great deal of change from the time they are weaned to the time they are ready to go out and be selected as a prospect, you know, in a couple of months, they change. And every day that I could have somebody else feed that one and primp on that one and take care of that one to get one in a home of mine, I took it. And I think those shows being in place helped you resist that that urge to go out and hope that you don't miss that elite one. But the longer you have, and, and it is tempting, you want to be that one out there that has the first opportunity to buy that great one. But I think if we look at the statistic and look at the odds, the longer you can wait, the better off you're going to be, unless you have the ability to buy large numbers and, and accept that you're going to have some fallout. Right. And that, that has almost become the responsibility of the brokers at this point. I agree with you completely. And and some of these prices, I don't know where they're at right now with COVID and so forth, but the pasture prices have gotten high. I'll leave it at that, much higher than they used to be. It used to be, in my mind, and we're going back many years, you could go out and take that risk because you could buy them off the cow for, for not that much money, relatively speaking. And And if a couple of them fell out out of four or five, you're okay. Right now, you go throw twenty, thirty, forty thousand at one of those babies. He doesn't mature. You're going to feel it. I guess I've always told people when outside of this industry that they 
I, I do talk to some people that don't do livestock shows, and they're like, well, how does the economy affect livestock shows? I said, the only thing, the only industry that I am aware of that's not affected by basically anything is the livestock show industry. And I will say I was remotely impressed and surprised how little the Rona of it all did affect prices for, you know, livestock show projects this past season. But again, I think we were all in the mindset that, you know, this will pass. It's going to be fine. This is a minor hiccup and setback. If it continues as it has, and the cancel culture among livestock shows continues, that will change drastically. No, I agree. And it's held up remarkably well. And I think part of it because of all the replacement shows that that so many people are, are putting some effort behind and getting to pop up. And there's there's in some parts, we've talked about this before, there's more shows to go to now than there was a year ago. So I think that's saving us. But but ultimately, we, we need these national shows to happen or we need a, a shows of that level to step in and, and create themselves. So there's a lot of things that, that need to happen to keep this going. But let's hope with if we just look at the numbers and statistics that we're through the worst of it and 2021 will be much, much better. I'm not going to say that Rona is not going to affect 2021 at all, but let's hope, especially within our industry, that we've now gotten past the worst of it and, and we'll start to see less and less cancellations. And it's crazy how we go from state to state. Here in Illinois, some of the schools aren't even in person, no sports for the most part. You go across the river into Iowa or you use Texas as an example. They're playing football. They're they're doing everything. So it's it's really politically motivated right now, depending on where you live, what's what's going on. And I'm sure we'll still see some of that in the livestock shows and the ones, the states and the facilities, just like we talked about earlier, where they held the California Youth Expo was on an Indian reservation. Great facility. I thought it went over phenomenal. I can't imagine that even post-corona that that type of facility, and I know it was used prior to that for shows, but these are the things that, that make it all happen, and we have to gravitate and migrate to those locations that allow these things to happen. And, and I think that will continue, and hopefully the, the market will stay strong and the involvement will stay strong, and it continues and to be with the, the best youth event there's ever been that we can put our, our children into. And I know we're getting a little off topic, but I just do want to give a shout out to the California Youth Expo. They've already got their date set for next year, so they're here to stay. Impressive. And I was there to witness that show and OIE jumped in and, and did some assisting in the managing. I know they had some people in charge of that that did some ph- phenomenal fundraising. Everything was done well. And I think because of that, whether there's COVID or not, that will succeed. It's just logical that when we do things right and we're professional about it, success is going to follow. Let's move to goats. And in terms of picking out prospect goats, and, and I'm going to be the first one to come out here and say, I get asked all the time what I call crossover families that have been showing cattle or pigs or sheep. I want to show goats, but I don't know what a good goat looks like. And it, it's so simple. And I've told the story so many times. I was in that same position when we decided to get into the goat business. And fortunately, my wife, Holly, and our manager, Craig, didn't even think about it. They just sorted good livestock. And that's where it needs to be. Just look for good livestock. Make them look like a good sheep. I don't care if you make them look like a good pig, a good calf. It's all, it all applies. 
We need skeletal build. If you can put some unique parts to them, some bells and whistles, put as much muscle in them that, that stays within the realm of, of keeping them balanced. All of those things are, so are, are perfectly going the same direction. Throw the idea out, what is a goat supposed to look like, and just go find good livestock. And that's, that's going to get you a long ways. I'm not saying that's where it was prior to my involvement because I knew nothing about goats and didn't follow it, didn't do any of that. So I can't speak for the past, but I can promise you right now, if you go select good livestock, you can use that across species. And it darn sure applies to goats when you're trying to find them. With that said, I talked about earlier, genetics come into role. When I'm sorting through our babies and trying to make recommendations when clients are calling, I do rely on some of those proven matings from the past. And it goes back to what Ryan said. Some of these goats have a great intake. They're easy to manage. Others are, are going to take a little more management and a little more encouragement to, to get feed intake where we need to be. So you can really adjust how those are going to go. And those goats that are a little finicky at weaning and don't want to go to feed, they may look a little skinny and a little green. But if you know that over time they're going to go to feed and, and you can do some things to get them going a little harder, those are some of the ones that, that come on later and just just amazing. So it's a tough one. I, I think use all the same principles Ryan's already talked about in terms of, of skeletal build, in terms of freshness, in terms of quality, all of those things. But you have to continue to communicate with that breeder or that broker or someone that is fairly familiar with that. And do not be afraid to ask any question. No question is irrelevant. How they're going to feed, how's their attitude, all of those things. Make sure you're comfortable with everything, and, and I think you're good. Ryan, I, I love watching you sort goats, and, and part of the reason is, and I think you've even mentioned you showed goats back in the early days, you don't look at them any different than any other livestock, do you? No, and I, people talk to me all the time. They're like, how can you judge every species? Again, I, I think people just try to make it too hard. It's Judging goats is kind of like the same analogy when people ask me, how do you judge a Brahmin? The easiest way that I can tell people that have never seen Brahmin cattle to judge them is cut off the front, cut off the hump, and cut off the sheaf and judge them just like another calf. Well, judging goats, it's just like judging any other animal. You look for structure and muscularity and look. Uh, I, I just don't, I don't see how it is fundamentally different than judging any other species. Uh, I think a lot of people get thrown off in terms of their hips. And again, I'm not, there are level hip goats out there. I don't think it's the same definition in terms of a level hip of a sheep or a calf, but there are level hipped goats out there. And I think that's the biggest thing that throws people off. Just kind of put that to the back of your mind and evaluate the rest of that animal for what they are, and you'll be just fine. I, again, I, I maybe it's just my mindset. I think it's really simple, and a lot of people are just literally don't have any concept on how I can sort all species. But, well, I think that's that's very well put, and. A lot of the, a lot of, and this sounds too simple, but a lot of the, the hip structure and when people are out in the show ring evaluating goats or even as babies buying them, a lot has to do if that tail's popped up or, or flagged down. It can change that whole hip dynamic 
dramatically. And Mother Nature did not intend for a lot of livestock, and particularly goats, to be perfectly level-hipped. And I know Ryan makes fun of my form to function all the time, but that's that's kind of what we're fighting there a little bit. Um, so we got to be careful. I'm not saying we need steep-hipped goats, but Mother Nature says there's going to be a little bit of a drop from the hooks to pins, and 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 that's that's kind of part of it. So I, I couldn't agree with with Ryan any any more than let's look at them as as good livestock and and try to try to just look past some of those things. I don't think there's ever going to be a goat that can be as dead level hipped as a sheep or a calf, but compared to their population, compared to their species, there are degrees in which ones are more level than others. So just you've got to judge it by what it's competing against. If you just have it in your mind, oh, this one's got to be as dead level as a sheep, you're never going to find one you like. No, but just just part of it. I'm going to give it just a touch more insight that something that confused me early on. Our first year breeding goats, we had some born that were so opened up and what we would call Ryan and other species very early maturing. I mean, just as wide as they were tall and long. And and, and that in general, they're not going to get very big. They're not going to mature out. Where And I maybe it's just our genetic base rather than nobody wanted to buy them. So we kept a lot of those for my youngest daughter to show. And we had to show them a little bit older, but the time those fall nationals came around and my youngest daughter was given some of those smaller goats, all of a sudden she's got one that's a contender at Louisville. For some reason, these these goats, and I'm not saying they're going to completely change, but Ryan had mentioned earlier, some of these earlier maturing ones or more muscular animals will mature and be fine. Others just stop and they're never going to, they're going to be too jammed up. It's never going to work. I've noticed in goats relative to other species, if you have enough time, that they will continue to grow frame and become more proportional. I'm not saying perfect if they're extreme when they're babies, but over time they will become more proportional than what I ever predicted. So it took me a while to adjust to that. I can't give you a biological explanation. I can't explain it. It just is one of those things. With that said, sheep, we can talk about them being similar to goats, but these sheep are at such a level right now I mean, you almost have to draw a picture. You can't draw a more perfect picture of one than what you see when in some of these big shows. Sheep have made gigantic strides here in the last few years. Even to change, you know, some different aspects of them. I mean, I know the shag and all that's big right now. But more importantly, I think they have really changed what they consider ideal in terms of the fact that, you know, we're not just making them as tall fronted as we can and not have anything to them. And, you know, I, I think it, the sheep industry is really making some great strides. And again, they've got some cool trends going on along right now too, but I really do think they've made some tremendous leaps and bounds in terms of making those animals as close to perfect as they can here lately. And I think when they get them propped up, wow. Now, if I'm going to be critical because they focused on so many things, if there's one thing that maybe went backwards when we started getting so much shag on these legs, we could carve them into looking anything we like. And I'm afraid we went a little backwards maybe on structural build and how they move out of that hind leg. But as we, if we can keep the body type where we're at, make a little progress in those hind legs, we always say, well, I'm, I'm so excited with where they're at right now. Where can you go from here? That's where I'm at with the sheep. If we, we get that fixed, maybe keep that top down just a little bit better on the move in general, I I mean, we've really 
built some incredible creatures. Absolutely. I think that uh, the sheep deal is probably as competitive as any species right now. And again, I agree with you that maybe we've lost just a little in terms of structural injury. I think more on the hind legs more than anything yes. else. But uh, And I do think that's something we need to watch. And I think that's something when you're out there selecting them as young prospects probably need to pay a little more attention to that. Because I do think that you see it more and more each day because the sheep are so good everywhere else. I do think that structure is going to play a increasingly bigger part in how those elite ones are sorted out on the top end. And I think as we make progress breeding, feeding, all of the factors that go into creating that perfect circus animal, as you would, would call it, Ryan, skeletal build and structure is going to continue to be that factor that we have the body types just about there. That's to me, and I'm not, I'm not trying to single trait select anything. I want everything else there, but you're right in my mind. And think about when you go sort a pig show, what are you sorted on? Structure. Yeah. And I, and I, and I think even as we move into the cattle, goats and sheep. That's why the pig people don't like me. <laughs> no, I wouldn't say they, they don't like you. You're just maybe not using some of the same pigs that won the previous weekend. But I think they like you. I think they appreciate your honesty and it is what it is. And there's one thing I forgot on the goat side. We can make these goats perfectly level-hipped. All we have to do is go out and buy a dairy goat. And I mean, they are as level-hipped <laughs> as... They, they are there, but every time we make a goat level-hipped, you've taken the muscle completely out of them. I'm not saying that people can't manage them in ways they shouldn't and get more muscle into them, but we're not even going to go down that road. But yeah, level-hipped goats... That's a whole other podcast. That is level, and we're going to cover that one. But level-hipped goats in general... And hopefully someday, which amazes me, we can make these sheep level-hipped with still big old booties on them. But it's it's pretty hard to do in a goat. Mother Nature just, we haven't had enough genetic generations of selection to, to get to that point. But we're, we're hopefully getting closer. Ryan, we haven't really addressed, do we buy these prospects online? Do we buy them in a live auction? Do we buy them private treaty? What What are your thoughts? I think it all depends on what, works best for that individual family. I will say, and I will say it again and again and again and again, and I will say it probably till the day I die. I think there is no substitute for actually seeing that animal live with your own eyes in whatever setting it is. I, I don't think there's any substitute for that. Now, with that being said, I realize that we are busier than we have oh, until Rona shut us down. <laughs> we are busier than we have ever been in terms of parents work, both work a job. The kids have so many other extracurricular activities. You just name it. There is more and more on each family's plate. So that's why online sales came about because it's easy to watch a video online and it's easy to bid at your computer at night and lots of success has happened through those things, and I am not discounting them at all. I think that they are a great source. I understand why they are there, and I think that they do positive things for lots of families that are out there that don't have the time to put on the miles to go to so many different brokers or breeders. Again, for me, 
personally, I do not think there is any substitute for you actually seeing that animal live and in person. I am I am on board with that, and ninety nine percent of ours are sold online. But I I agree with Ryan as far as being able to see him in person. I think it depends on those goals we talked about earlier. What your goals you're setting, and if you don't have the time, and 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 it seems like we're we're losing. We we have less and less time to go travel the country and search those out. But if you're trying to find that elite animal that's going to win a state fair or a major show you're either probably going to have to utilize a little bit of that online and in an ideal situation, go look at them. You can go still go look at the online animals. Do it, do so if you can make it there. But the online sales give you such an opportunity to see such a variety of quality from across the country that you either need to embrace that to a certain degree or rely on a broker that's getting out there and putting on the miles because the chances of that, that one being in your 100-mile radius that you have time to drive to May depending on where you live may not be very good, but if your goal is to compete well at a at a county fair and get some experience and go to jackpot shows, guess what? You, it probably works to to grab something locally there without any problem. So I'm I'm with Ryan there, and and there seems to be fewer and fewer live auctions. The online auctions have really dominated. There's still some private treaty going on, and from a breeder's perspective, and and we get calls every day. Will you sell something private treaty? I have to be careful because when we're selling our weather prospects, particularly more so than does, and we will sell some doe kids, very few, but occasionally private and some mature does private, especially in groups. But in terms of our, our prospect weathers, there's so many families that we've worked with. How do you prioritize? Well, who gets first pick? Who gets second pick? It just doesn't work. And then you complicate that with, if we did it in that manner, we'd have visitors come through nearly every day and we physically can't get anything else done. And I, and I know that sounds crazy or, or ridiculous, but it, it just the reality of it. So we have to take it in a practical sense, however we can. And I applaud you on selling all those weathers that way, because again, I completely get the fact that you do not want to choose or prioritize who gets first pick. And I, I think that's a great thing. And very honest and transparent way to do it. Like you said earlier, even those online sales, if possible, go there, check them out in person. And I'm not saying that anybody is being dishonest on the videos or the pictures or anything. That's not what I'm saying. There, there are things you cannot see in a video that you can see in person. And that's just facts. No, and it's real simple. We may have a prospect weather that Craig or I or my wife likes quite a bit and ends up fourth in the sale order because the darn thing didn't take a very good picture. And and if people are willing to call and ask, well, guess what? That one's probably going to be undervalued relative to the contemporaries. And if they simply call and ask some of these questions, that, that works to their advantage. And, and one of them that we, we try to put them in the order that we like them, so we're not going to beat them up totally, but if we have this one that took a terrible picture as lot one, people are going to scratch their head and say, why did they make that one lot one? They always rank them kind of how they like them in order, but we're never afraid to to give out that information. And I know I emphasized it before. Do not ever be afraid to call and ask those questions. Do not feel uncomfortable asking a breeder or a broker any question. You're the customer. You're the one that that they need to accommodate. So make sure to take advantage of that. Ryan and I talked about this and Ryan brought it up in an earlier episode. In the north, if you go look at some club calves and you ask them, 
to go ahead and put them in the wash rack and wet them down, they're going to look at you a little funny. And Ryan says that, that's common practice. <laughs> yeah, it's common practice in the South, I'm assuming, with the slick calves. Right. Yeah, not not here. But I mean, I but why wouldn't you? I mean, I guess if you want to see what you're feeding, I know the hair is going to help and cover up a lot of things. I, you, it, it, the problem is when you do that with a lot of these haired up fall babies or these babies in the fall, I shouldn't say fall babies, you may not like any of them. Uh, it's it's going to be more of a transition than maybe we want to see. So we'll, we'll be kind of smart about it. Ryan, do you have anything to add to that before we move on to our question and answer segment? I don't think that either one of us can just specifically lay out an A to Z guideline on how to pick the perfect prospect animal. But I do think the things that we have talked about are tips and tricks that can help anyone in those areas because the perfect prospect animal for me is not the same for you, is not the same for other people. It's all going to be about what you desire, what you want to feed, what your goals are. And, you know, I, I am not perfect in this because I have fed animals before that I did not particularly like because I thought that they would be successful at a certain show. And I was correct in those assumptions. But the one thing that I would tell everyone as a general rule is do as I say, not as I do. It takes a great deal of effort, time, and energy to feed anything and to put that amount of love and attention. Feed an animal you really really love. Excellent. And and that makes it so much better to go out to that barn every day and and do just that and and I can't I guess we never really emphasized this Ryan or I should say brought it to the attention. We're going to make mistakes when we when we select these prospects. It's going to happen. They're not always going to mature like we we want them to and it's just part of it. And I don't know how to tell you to avoid doing such there's no way to tell somebody to avo- how to avoid doing it. No. So, I mean, there's no there's no crystal ball. Maybe that breeder or that broker tells you one thing and they mature differently. They're not trying to mislead you, I, I wouldn't think, by any means. It's just part of it, and they're not always going to feed like you like. And every management program is going to be a little bit different. So realize that there's no no perfect way to go about this. Let's just do the best we can, gather as much information as we can, and, and make the, the best decision possible. Question and answer, Ryan. Are you ready? Yes. Heather Herrera to Dale and Ryan. If you were not able to be a part of the livestock industry, what would your profession be? Dale, would you like to go first? I'll let you. The gay can go. Oh, okay. Well, I know what I would be if it wouldn't have been for my mother trying to keep me from being gay when I was a young adult. I would probably still be this. I was state best actor, UIL actor in my senior year in high school. And so I had a full ride to go to Southern Methodist University, which I want to point out was my mother's alma mater. She was also crowned homecoming queen at SMU by Bob Hope. And she refused to let me go and study acting there because she knew I would be gay sooner. So if I couldn't be in the livestock industry, I I think I would have had great success in acting and theater and stuff like that. I, I'm glad your mother pushed you the other way, Ryan, from a selfish standpoint. 
I'm, I knew I loved your mother for a lot of reasons. She's a good, good lady. <laughs> good, good lady. There you go. Uh, okay, mine is probably not as glamorous as Ryan's, and, and I had to stop and think about this one, and I'm the one that gathered the question and answer, so I, I cheated a little bit. I, I was able to put a little thought into it. I spent 20-plus years in academia teaching animal science, genetics, nutrition at the college level, so I was still tied to the livestock industry. So if I try to go outside of that, I mean, that's pretty much all that I've encapsulated and engrossed for since since I can remember. But if I go all the way back to my childhood, at that point, in my mind, I thought I had an incredible amount of ability to go into professional motocross or supercross. At that time, it was called motocross. Whether my talents were good enough to ever get me there, I, I don't know. Once I got into FFA and pursuing showing and livestock judging, there wasn't enough time to dedicate to everything. And I made a choice to go that direction. But there were times that in my mind, I was capable of doing something like that. In all honesty, it takes an incredible amount of money to put forth into those endeavors and to be competitive at the national level. And we were not in a situation as far as my parents or myself to be able to probably do that. So it would have been very, very difficult to succeed at the level that I wanted to. So an interesting short story, I about 10 years ago, maybe a little longer, my wife buys me a fully tricked out Supercross motorcycle. And I'm getting a little bit older, Ryan. I'm thinking, wow, this this is great. And they have age divisions. So I could go out and compete against people my age if I so chose. So I went down that path thinking, well, I, could, I can do this. I soon came to realize after I blew out an ACL, broke several bones and had lots of, of time on crutches and non-productive time that this was not going to work. I did have the vision that once I turned 50, they have a 50-plus class. I thought, oh, I'll be fine then. I'm in with a bunch of old guys. I can, I can do this. Well, come to find out the only people that compete in the 50 and older are those ex-professionals, and they just, it was brutal. <laughs> brutal, brutal, brutal. So that would have been my goal. I don't know that I would have accomplished it. I'm sure that I would be more crippled up today than, than, I, than I am. But I did find a lot of injuries when I did decide to dive back into that at, at a young age. And part of it was my son had some interest in that, and, and I went out and rode with him. We actually have a motocross track in our backyard. It's soon becoming a cow pasture. I love it. I did find fear, and once I found fear, that's when all the accidents came. If, if you can't go at it 100%, it's going to be brutal. And it did happen. Next question. Is there video of this, by the way? I, I, I'm sure there's some. It's interesting. I think I have this a, is something that needs to be on <laughs> Facebook for our I, listeners. I, and I, I used to put a few things up there on Facebook. My son loves the fact that at one race here locally, um, there is a, a racer that a young man that was in his age division that is now winning at the national level. And he, he wins the championship here last year. And as a contender this year, he actually beat him to the, what they call the whole shot out of the gate. And, He's so proud that, that, yeah, if he would have pursued that career because he beat this gentleman one time or this young kid, that he could have done the same thing. He could not. He was not that talented, but he, was, he, he did very well, and I was not. It was not good. I have one video of my youngest daughter at a very young age, first time she's on a little race bike, going over one of our jumps and flips over forward. It, it, was, it, was, it was not pretty, but for some reason I did record the entire thing, and she got up and and kind of shook it all off. But yeah, there, there's video out there. I just don't know a lot of videos on, on myself. But we can dig some up. Next question. Marty Mishler sends us 
a question. In your professional opinion, what is the best species to start a young person with in the show ring? Lambs, goats, pigs, or cattle? I think it all depends on the background of who, whether it's the parents or the grandparents, etc., that are going to be the primary people in giving that youth advice. I think that is, obviously, if they have more experience in cattle, sheep, pigs, or goats, then that is the species they need to start the young person out on because they have more knowledge, they have more experience, and they can relate that to the young first-time exhibitor. And so that is what I would suggest. I, I don't think there is, I think you can make cases for every single one of those species as being a great first-time project and one where they're going to have challenges. So I, I would literally lean on what the people that are going to be there in the day-to-day management that are teaching that child have the most experience with. I love it. I don't even want to add to that, Ryan. That That's exactly right. And I think a lot of people in general say, well, cattle are too big and it's too dangerous. Don't put a young kid on there. I agree. We want to be safe. We want to make sure there's no issue there. But if that's where the family's the most comfortable, they're probably not going to have those issues, especially if they've they've shown cattle and they understand all these things. So I, I could not agree more. I, I think it, it's going to lie very independent on who's in the area that can help or where the parent's experience is at. And yeah, it seems very logical. Let's let's keep an open mind to it. And there there really isn't one specific, but there is one for each family that's probably going to work the best. Next question, Kimberly Kate. She addresses melatonin. We have heard it's illegal on the West Coast. Has it carried over to the national shows? How can melatonin be illegal on the West Coast? You can go buy it in Walmart. It's just a drug to grow hair. You can buy it in Walmart. You can buy it at Sullivan's. You can buy it a lot of different places in Grow and Shine and New Growth through Essential. There's it's, so many products that have it in it. There is. Now, I, I don't know how this is illegal. Why is it illegal? I believe Kimberly brings this up because I remember, and I, I don't have the specifics on it, I remember seeing a post or a letter coming out of California that it was not allowed. And California is a little bit different. They actually have what they call state rules that any of the county shows that are county associated with the, the government have to follow this base set of rules. And I'm pretty sure that did come out. So for the record, Ryan, and I know you're going to throw this on, throw me under the bus on this one. If they said it is not allowed, I do not want to, do not want to encourage you to use it if the rules state otherwise. However, melatonin is a naturally secreted hormone that is secreted during the night. It's controlled by your orcadian clock. The level that's released seasonally and daily patterns will, will go basically with how long the photo period is. This is controlled by that length of cycle each night. So it's, it's something that's already occurring in the body. And I mean, anything that's tested, and I don't even know if there is a test for melatonin. I don't think it's ever been tested for to my knowledge, but you're going to pick up certain levels of it. So it'd have to be some form of quantitative test and say, if it's over this level, then it's, it's not good. But in the, the reality of it, I spoke with Mr. Matt Clays about this briefly, just to make sure I understood the biological side of it. He says right now that it's not a part of what they call the KISS test that most of the packing plants are using. It's just not on the, the radar as far as being a problem in the food chain. Now, maybe because it's not, 
I guess there's a lot of things that aren't FDA approved. If you feed an Oreo cookie to a pig, it's probably not officially FDA approved, but we have to implement a little bit of common sense and, and there's there's nothing wrong with it. Now, if some people are using melatonin implants too close to slaughter and that implant is still intact, I can see an issue with that. That's about the, and maybe that's what this stems from. I, I understand that. We definitely don't want to see that, but it is a natural occurring hormone. It's in the body all the time. I, I guess, Kimberly, I don't know how better to answer that, but to my knowledge, there is I no- I will answer this. If melatonin is illegal at your show, they are dumb. <laughs> I am not going to say that, but it, it doesn't appear to be an issue anywhere that I'm aware of outside of the West Coast and maybe more specifically California. Any of our listeners out there know more about that, please shoot us a private message and we can address it further in, a, in another episode or our next episode. With that, that concludes our question and answer. And Ryan and I, how, how many more nights do we have? Two Tonight and tomorrow night on the RNC, Ryan? Yes. So we're recording this in the middle of the RNC, so we, we do not have all the information we would like to have to, to move forward. But here, within a couple of days post-RNC, we're going to do our bonus podcast. Beyond that, the Circus. That Ryan has so wonderfully named Beyond the Circus. I think it's extremely appropriate. Duh. And it's going to focus strictly on the Democrat National Convention and the Republican National Convention. I don't know if it'll be well-received. I don't know if three people will listen or... What will happen with that? I don't care because I'm going to feel a lot better after I get done recording it. It's going to be it's going to be fun. Uh, Ryan and I are doing it, and this is an opinion. Ryan and I are both very opinionated. Mine is not an opinion. Mine is facts. It's facts, <laughs> people. Do not listen to him. Facts. I believe that we're telling the truth. I believe it's facts, but I also want to disclose that we are maybe biased. It, the gay is not biased. The gay is an independent. This is facts, people. That's all there is to it. It'll be fun. I hope you guys choose to tune in and listen, and hopefully that'll be the next podcast that you hear. We'll, we'll make sure to get it up on social media and let you know when it's going to be dropped. But Ryan, for today, thank you for all the input. It's greatly appreciated. To our listeners, be safe until next week. Y'all come back now, you hear? <laughs> <laughs>